Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, our song, and our salvation. Amen. So this evening, I'll be joining with some other members of our congregation to meet with our high school youth and catechism class. As these youth are being asked to consider and articulate what they believe and how that affects their choices and actions, we've been asked to share what beliefs or experiences drew us to this church and how our faith and relationship with the church affects our own choices and actions. In essence, we'll be answering the question, why are you here? There's so many ways to take that question and so many possibilities for answering. Even if we boil the question down, for instance, to ask, why are you here at this worship gathering this morning? There are likely as many answers as there are people hearing the question. I'm here because mom drove me, because I love to hear the choir, because I signed up to usher, because I needed a safe place to be for the morning, because I was looking for spirit. If we expand the sense of that question to mean, why are you here at First Congregational in general, then we start to get to the discussion that we'll be having tonight with the youth. I'm here because someone invited me and I found new friends, perhaps. Because it's a place where I find both comfort and challenge. Because I feel God's spirit at work. Because I found it to be a church where following Jesus really means something concrete and visible in the world. How would you answer that question? There's a place on the connection card to answer what brought you here the first time. But I'd invite you to take that question into a conversation with someone else here, perhaps somebody that you haven't met before or someone you don't know very well. As we work this year on recreating community, what brought you here and what keeps you here are good questions to start with in building relationships and finding shared values and a shared direction. Of course, there's a much bigger way to ask that question as well. In my time serving as a palliative care chaplain, I had many, many conversations with people toward the end of their lives who were wrestling with this deepest of all questions, why am I here? They were wondering if their lives, however long or short they might be, had meaning, had purpose. Sometimes they wondered what God was keeping them around for when they lived with so many challenges. Sometimes they were looking back on their lives and wondering if they'd made a difference. <clears throat> I remember a long visit with a patient I only met once. I'll call him Joe. Throughout our meandering conversation, Joe would frequently stop and shake his head and say, I just don't know why I'm here. I am no good to anybody. 
He had had a good career. He was an avid reader of all kinds of books. He loved discussing theology. He was in significant pain much of the time and not very mobile. And he'd been estranged from his family for many years. He lived in a nursing care facility where his room was full of books and his walls were covered with prints of famous quotes. In the course of our meeting, he told me about one of the night staff who regularly came to check on him around 2 a.m. And apparently she'd often find him awake and then the two of them would just sit and chat. As Joe spoke about her, it became clear that in their late night chats, he had come to learn her life story. In a setting where both staff and residents could be essentially invisible, Joe saw her for who she was and gave her the opportunity to be her whole self as they talked through the wee hours of the morning. Mostly, it seemed, he would just sit and listen as the young woman told him her, her woes, her hopes, her observations about life at the nursing facility that made her smile or shake her head, her sense of how few people she met really seemed to care. But Joe cared. He was good to her in a small way that made a big difference to her. He offered a little light in a dark place. And I can only imagine that that little light helped her to keep shining as she continued to do her work through the dark of the night. And that the light Joe helped restore in her brought more light to those others she checked on as well, creating a ripple effect, a wave of light that who knows might still be going on years later, even today. It's been my experience that when people ask the big question, why am I here? They are often looking for an answer that will be written on a big marquee, a splashy identity, a moment of fame, to find a cure for cancer, to eradicate gun violence, to change the ingrained culture of racism in our society. If we don't do something big, it doesn't count. A college friend of mine recently sent a group of us her ideal obituary, a comical testament to our very human desire to have something big to show for our lives. She wrote to us, <clears throat> after winning her first Nobel Peace Prize for her collaborative work in brain surgery and marine biology, Anne went on to become a supermodel she was the first person to recite the entire works of Monty Python while on a photo shoot for British Vogue. George Harrison described her as the one who got away. Her friends remember her for her sense of fantasy and her proclivity for fiction. When Joe asked his why am I here question, it seemed as for, at first as though he was looking for one of those big, splashy answers. But as he spoke with such care about the staff member who stopped to see him each night, 
I wondered with him if maybe, just maybe, he was here to bring a moment of dignity and respect to someone who would otherwise have been overlooked. Maybe that one little act of caring, allowing somebody else's light to shine brighter was enough. Maybe that was everything. Both scriptures today make the point that our lives don't have to be splashy to make a difference. In fact, the point of our lives is not to show how shiny or righteous or glorious we are. It's for us to bring light to others so that God's glorious work in the world keeps shining. The passage that Bruce read for us from Isaiah is really a conversation of sorts if you break it down. It begins with God speaking to Isaiah and then the voice of the people of Judah is heard complaining to God and then God answers them through Isaiah. As we heard last week from his contemporary Micah, Isaiah voices God's distress that the people are paying far too much attention to ritual rather than to living in right relationship. Where Micah used the example of people making sacrificial offerings without aligning themselves to God's call for justice and righteousness, Isaiah speaks of the people's fasting as a practice that draws more attention to themselves than to God's vision for a just world. Both prophets call out the people's tendency to use their worship to put the spotlight on themselves. Look at these bulls we're offering. Look at how diligently we're fasting. Why isn't God paying attention to us when we are being so religious? Even while their behavior outside of worship contributes to the oppression and hurt and injustice in their midst. Micah summed up God's call to the people in three short statements. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Isaiah expands on that with specific ways that their worship of God and their work in the world can be lined up and life-giving. This is how it reads in Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message. God says, this is the kind of fast today I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, then your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a life full in the emptiest of places. In other words, Isaiah says, this is why you're here. 
not to show God by your rituals how good you are, but to show the world by your caring how good God is. That's what makes you shine. Matthew makes that point by telling his disciples that they are salt and light. Immediately after he has offered them the Beatitudes as a lens through which to see the world, he gives them these images for how they are to be in the world. Salt. Even a little bit of salt is a preservative, a flavor enhancer, a cleanser, a healer. Light, even one small candle's worth in a dark place, reveals what has been hidden, brings warmth and clarity, brings in the, out the colors in what's around it. Salt and light do their work not by drawing attention to themselves. And you know that because if you've ever had too much salt in food, it is not something that you want. They don't draw attention to themselves, but they bring out the best in what they touch. Again, Eugene Peterson's version in the message puts it really well. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt others to open up to God. So where do we see that generous, just, cleansing, caring work in the world? Bruce mentioned quite a few in the work that's done with the mission and social justice team and the work that we as a congregation get to do through their leadership. But for me, the first person that came to mind when I thought about that question was Darnella Frazier. Does that name ring a bell? I thought of her again following the recent brutal death of Tyree Nichols. In the spring of 2020, Darnella happened to see police officers take down George Floyd. And as the lone witness to that event, she filmed that horrific nine minutes of his murder. It was a small act with profound consequences. Darnella won the Pulitzer Prize for that act of courageously recording that video and highlighting the crucial role of private citizens in the public quest for justice and for truth. But on the day she took that video, she was a 17-year-old high school student who had just been going about her day and was in that place at that time. Salt. Light. Other examples. Think of those who bring water and put water strategically placed in the desert so that those who are crossing borders have something to drink. Simple act 
profound consequences. Think of the people that live on the reservation at Pine Ridge, opening their homes regularly, opening their land to the visitors that come to help out. That welcome, that open house generosity is a small act with profound consequences. Here are some other examples, closer to home, here and now. Mose, one of our deacons, sends out emails with encouraging stories on a regular basis, bringing a little light to someone's day. Paula, one of our new members, has just started a group, begins tomorrow, for women affected by bipolar disorder. A little salt, a little light. Tom, now a private citizen after decades as our church treasurer, <clears throat> has begun leading a weekly group in exercises to help us age backwards. Sarah, our pastor for faith formation, testified in Lansing on Wednesday in support of adding protections for sexual orientation and gender identity to the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act. Jeff, and Kay are spending their Sunday evening in conversation with the church youth, exploring together what it means to be Christian, to be church, to be human. Salt, light, small acts, making a big difference, shining a light on God's care for the world. I've read for you before some of the poems of the Reverend Steve Garnes Holmes, as he reflects on the lectionary texts for each week. And this was his offering this past Friday, called simply, Light. Every act of justice, every act of compassion or mercy is a light, a star in the night of this world. You may think your efforts are small and meaningless, you may think they make no difference, but go out and look up at the stars. Which one should not have reached out in love? Which, which one should never have bothered to act in courage or compassion? They all shine until they are swept up in the great light of the one who dawns among us. None of them rids the night of its darkness. And yet God walks out and looks at them all and smiles. Beloved church, this is why we are here. To bring out God's flavor in the earth and its people. To reveal God's rainbow of color in the world. To let this little light of ours ripple out with compassion and reveal God's vision of justice and shalom to make God smile. May it be so. Amen.